0: Hi, welcome to Chew on That. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church here in Green Bay. And this is a podcast where we dig deeper into the most recent sermon from the current sermon series happening at Life Church in Green Bay. And that happens to be a one off from July 4th uh, called The In Between. And joining me today is my very special guest and my very special friend, Sean Hennessy. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. It's great to have you here today. Thanks. It's good to be here. I know that you're tired, and so we're gonna try to like. <laughs> try, try, if you can see, if you guys could see him, his eyes are like the size of I slits. Yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. What movie did you stay up late watching
1: with our friend Barry? Um. Can you say? I could say. I'm just trying to think of what. Ah, uh, it's the. It's the new one with Don Cheadle oh, and yeah. Benicio del Toro. Oh my gosh, you shouldn't watch that when you're tired though, because that's a slow yeah. moving. I, I fell asleep. Right?
0: Like it's a Soderbergh movie. Twice I fell asleep.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to rewatch it. It wasn't what I expected. Yeah. I didn't know. I think it's a true story. Oh, which I didn't know that. Didn't know that yeah. Until the end. It and takes I place did, in Detroit. It right? does. I didn't know that it was about an auto part. It's very interesting. Yeah. So like. It was the theory of it was interesting, but you're right. I was tired. Barry is 50, 50, whether he's going to stay awake during a movie <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I was pretty sure we both fell asleep. But I thought with that cast, bro, it's a yeah. killer cast. It should have been really John something. John Hamm. Right. It's, it's it Matt, D- Matt to- Damon shows up yeah. out of nowhere.
0: I was yeah. like, what? Yeah. And Macaulay Culkin's kid brother. He is in that. He is in that. Because he's in succession right now, which is a show I kind of like. Oh, I love that show. I I can't wait for it to come back. I know. I know. Like, I don't know why I like it so much, but I do like it a
1: lot. These people call, it's what people in the Christian world call guilty pleasures. Yes. Right. Meaning that they're swearing. Yeah. And
0: drug use. (laughs) So much, so there is. That reminds me of another show I, I watched that I really liked. Apart from the fact that drugies, now I can't think of the name of it because I'm stupid. Anyway, but it was they were just like so unapologetically like blowing coke and oh my god, like I'm like. Like it wasn't like, cause normally if you see drug use in a movie or a show, it's like they're, they're trying to hide it. Or that's the, that's the, that's the purpose of the show. Yeah. It's like, you know, they were just, oh, they came over, did some Molly, blew some Coke and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like what?
1: Who's <laughs> like, who lives that way? Bro, I was in, I was in California this last week cause I'm going to speak at a church next Sunday in Sacramento. And so I was, they have another campus in Southern California. So I this see. past week I was checking out their other campus and I'm on this, this is going to be. You know, I'm not rubbing this in. Nope. But I'm in Newport Beach. Of course. On a rooftop of course. overlooking the Pacific Ocean <laughs> with two board members from this church. And this is like uh this is an incredible killer church. <laughs> and about an hour into the conversation, one of the board members starts talking about breaking bad. <laughs> and I was like, like seriously, I've not Say I haven't I've, I've tried to watch Breaking Bad twice and I've gotten <laughs> an episode and a half in, and I've never been a fan of it. Mm. And I, and Sonny definitely wouldn't watch it because, you know, her holiness meter is way, as she would call it, my leash is too short. And, and so I kind of played the Christian card. I'm like, I'm speaking at their church next week. (laughs) I'm like, no, you know, I felt convicted when I watched that. And the one board member goes, Oh, it's probably the best writing of it. I mean, I'm a f- i am ai was a film major in school and I'm like, you know, we're in Southern California and this person's worth <laughs> half a billion dollars. <laughs> legitimately. They own half a billion dollars in property. Right. And I'm like, huh. well, hmm. okay. Still haven't watched it. So right. that's one of those shows that yeah. I just haven't watched it. So there's another great movie that was a true story, and I can't remember who was in it. Greg Kinnear. It's 50, 50 of Greg Kinnear movies are going to be awesome or they're going to be from like, uh, Jesus productions. And they're going to, you know, the, (laughs) (laughs) what we're talking about that every Christian movie that goes straight to video, he's in a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's either him or Kirk Cameron, right? (laughs) Or Nick Cage now. (laughs) (laughs) He's actually in House of Cards too, which kind of throws you for a loop. You have Greg Kinnear's in House of Cards and the Jesus movie, but this one was about the invention of, uh, the interval windshield wiper. This is so good, bro. Anyway, so yeah, last Are night. Are you only watching that. shows that have to do with car parts? Yeah, and- I think so. <laughs> it's back to my Ford versus Ferrari. Another oh, great movie. Oh, such a good movie. So yeah, that was last night. We, we kind of watched that movie. Yeah. And then he shot it, Soderbergh does, like with that, like a wide angle lens on some shots and it's really disorienting. It is, bro. There was a couple of times where I was like, like in the beginning, I was like, I love the cinematography of this. And then I, and then I thought, oh, maybe I have my TV on Zoom (laughs) (laughs) to trying to find the 16 by nine letterbox view. And I couldn't, and Barry goes, I think it's supposed to be that way. And then went back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 anyway this isn't a
1: movie review show this is actually in fact this is what happens every time we get true. together it's though true. just yeah. listen to a rabbi and a pastor walk into a bar it's yeah. like 40 percent movie
0: it I, I met with a, a person from her church and we were having coffee she said you know she felt like she really needed to like fill her life with podcasts so she's been trying to listen to as many live church productions as she can which is great and then i started listening to Passionate rabbi and like I'm like when are they gonna start talking about Jesus stuff? And I said well <laughs> you should have been tipped off by the title of a passionate rabbi walk into a bar like it's just gonna be dudes yeah, talking about I love it. Yeah, so she said well I figured that out afterwards. Anyway, so today we're gonna talk about uh, your message from yesterday. Yeah, and the thing about the thing about yesterday's message is that there's a version that you can get to uh, by watch by going to YouTube on our channel on YouTube or by going to the livechurchgreenbay.com uh, website. And that recorded message is not the same message that you, uh, that you gave, that you taught live yesterday. But before we even get to like that difference, yeah. like I wanted to know just from like a, just for, from people's perspective, how do you decide on the direction of your message? Like, how do you, so whatever the first one was called, how did you land there? How did you start prepping for that?
1: Well, it both had the same title. So they're both, I mean, I called it the in-between, but really the concept was living in the in-between. And for this particular one, I mean, in general, when I'm writing messages, I'm always writing messages, which yeah. is exhilarating and exhausting simultaneously. So thank God for the iPhone, because yeah. I'm constantly taking notes yeah. in my phone, just little thoughts. I'll be reading something and and that'll put a thought into my mind. It may not even be for that message, but I'll put in that. I Like, I know I want to put something in for another message gotcha. or I'll be working on one message and get an idea for another. And I read a lot. Uh I read a ton. I just bought this super old book. I'm really into Kenneth E Bailey right now. Hmm. He's, he's amazing. He He's from Pennsylvania. He's in heaven now, but uh-huh. he was from Pennsylvania and was, was part of the Presbyterian church, I believe, but he got his degree in Middle Eastern studies, something wow. along those lines, and, and ended up being a professor in the Middle East and, and was so moved by the Middle Eastern culture that as a Christian, he decided that he was going to funnel his Christianity through the Middle Eastern context. And wow. so he, he physically lived in a Middle Eastern traveling village for a period of time where they would pack up, like in biblical times, they would move, they would set up camp, they wow. would stay there for a few days, or a few weeks, and then they would pack up and they would move. And so he, he has this line in one of his books that we're trying to read a Middle Eastern book through Western eyes. Mm-hmm. And so we have this one context and I talked about this in, in the message that for the first 20 years of my Jesus journey, I was a pick and point guy yeah, where I, I just would randomly say, okay, God, I would almost like, it was like Christian Russian roulette. Okay, yeah. God, you better give me something rather than systematically right. going through it. Like right now I'm going through the chronological one year Bible. And, and which is really interesting to see how things actually go in order, so I just got this new book. I mean, it's old. Right. It's old to me. I had to buy it off eBay. And it when it got here yesterday, it's an old library book. And I love that. It that has the awesome. little tag yes. on the spine of it. And the concept of this book is a conversation between an elder and his disciple about God. Mm. And it's, it's, it actually was originally written in Arabic. He wrote the book in Arabic. This Pennsylvania guy. (laughs) Yeah. And so it has this, this broader mindset of he's writing this book about the Trinity to a Middle Eastern crowd. Yeah. And now we get to peer in on it. And so it's been translated into like 20 languages. And so I decided years ago, number one, I needed to be a reader and and number two, I needed to read stuff that was random or that was hmm. weird. I just got a new book. Um, I should know the name of the author. I mean, he's the greatest physicist in the world right now, but he, he wrote this book, The God Equation. And his life mission is to take Einstein's theory of relativity and to prove it. Wow. And so he believes that he's come up with a mathematical equation that will describe god wow and it's like mind-boggling and you know anybody who knows me knows like i'm into physics right, i'm into right. i'm into quantum physics particularly all of that stuff and i have lots of weird thoughts and theories not not that i'm a weird conspiracy theorist but i'm 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 closed-minded in my in my belief of god but i'm i'm open-minded in
0: human explanation of God?
1: The galactic thought process. Like when I hear that the Air Force has been hiding UFOs for years, I go, oh, of course we have. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they have. (laughs) Clearly there's aliens. You know what? I just go, of course there's. And then on the other hand, I go, well, there's not. We're special enough to be the only ones. And then I go, but maybe. They just found out. I don't know if you know this, but they just found out that it is scientifically possible that Mars at one point was more conducive to human life than earth is right now. And they just discovered this. Like we're, you know, I think we're sending out these probes, right? right? Right. And so how does that creep into my communication? How does that creep into what I want people to know? How do we expand our thoughts and our views on God? And so then I, I got into the Jewish context because the, you know, yep. this is a Jewish book. And so I had a, a series of conversations on Marco Polo with our friend Rabbi Matt yeah. about Passover, and that's where we came to the thought of the in between mm. that Jesus paused the Passover. It was like that had never been done. Yeah, and that Passover has not been completed. Right, it was left still open, hanging. Yeah, and it was paused between the cup of redemption and the cup of praise, and, and that's we're, everything, right? That's everything. So we're we are going to partake in that cup. So think about this. This is interesting to me. It's cool to me yeah. that if this is true, this theory, that Jesus paused the Passover and we are we're caught between redemption, the cup of redemption and the cup of praise, that Jesus began the most famous supper ever with his most famous guys. Right. Which, Which then when you go back and you look at like, how does your picture of those people really play out? For example, I said it, I kind of like live, I didn't say this in the online version, but live I just kind of threw out this little morsel of the fact that when we picture them, we picture them as these old dudes, but they weren't. I mean, Jesus is 33. He's the oldest yeah, dude he, in the room. right? And so this idea of a child as a part of the Seder, asking a question to the father, why is this meal different than all other meals? But they're not being a child in the room. So the disciple John probably was the one, well, the Bible says, and he asked Jesus a question, but it doesn't say the question because the people would have known the question. Right, right. So John is the youngest guy in the room. So he gets sat in the good seat, they call it, right? The seat right next to Jesus, which incidentally, we believe Judas was in the other seat. He's he's mm. on the other side of Jesus. And so you have this guy, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who puts his head on Jesus' chest, which seems weird yeah, if you're us. a grown man. Yeah. But he's, he's probably at most 16. And we deduce that because you can become a Jewish disciple at 13. That's typically when you're chosen and pulled apart. So you have this 13-year-old who now has been with Jesus three years. So we say, like, he's 16. I have a 16-year-old. Right. My 16-year-old often lays their head on my chest because they love me. Yeah. And, and there's still like a connection between this, this teenage child And they're for me their father, but for Jesus, their mentor. He's he's twice his age, right? So he's old enough to be his father, technically, right? Right. So now you have this sixteen-year-old who's laying their head, and Jesus is speaking this answer to this question about why is this day different than the other days, and so then like if if John's sixteen, Peter's the oldest disciple, and so he's he's probably twenty. Judas probably turned twenty, either like during the Passover or like in that general area. Gosh! And the reason that we think that, or that I think that, I don't, I don't shouldn't say we. This is me. Yeah. The reason that I think that perhaps Judas turned twenty is because in their culture, you were not fully responsible for your sins until you're twenty, mm. which is which is where like forever in the evangelical church we've talked about the age of accountability yep. and and like why like when we do baby funerals we right. talk about there in heaven and then i've had people forever and this this pissed me off bro when my daughter died i actually had people say to me well you know there's nowhere in the bible about the age of accountability mm. so hopefully your daughter was chosen oh my gosh and you go yeah, well, it isn't, I don't see anywhere in the Bible, but it didn't have to be in the Bible. The reason that it didn't have to be in the Bible is because it was written by Jews to Jews, and Jews understood that you're not fully responsible for your own sins until you're 20. So yeah. Judas took upon him this burden of responsibility for the fact that he had just betrayed his Savior. Had he not been 20, he would have probably felt like there was a way out, but he, he didn't. He was fully responsible for that. So if John is 16 and Jesus, and, Peter was, Peter was the oldest at 20. It then explains why when Jesus sends them out two by two, he sends Peter and John together because he sends the oldest and the youngest. Uh So then when you come back to the fact that, you know, John is 16, James is under 20, his brother. Right. So now when their mother comes to Jesus and asks that they have a special place in the kingdom, that makes sense. Because she's a helicopter parent right? and she's advocating for her kids like we do. Like when we go to the soccer coach and say, hey, do you think maybe Bobby can get a little more playing time? (laughs) And the coach is like, bro, sit down. Your kid stinks like this. (laughs) Look at you. Look at you. Like you're not an athlete. (laughs) So all of that, those are all things that in my mind, my mind, as you know, and anyone who knows me, my mind is always in 17 different directions. So what I have to do when I'm writing a message like this, how do I rein that in? How do I not put all of that in right. into a message? Because I think it's all interesting. Yeah. But then sometimes I'll say that to Sonny and Sonny will go, Yeah, that's super interesting to me, but I don't think that the guy in the pew would really care about that. Mm. Like the guy would go, uh. Yeah. Do you really think that the four, like, cause she listened to my message yesterday and she called me, she said, you were right. There's a lot in there, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to fit in 30 minutes. Yeah, And she goes, I loved it. But she goes, it, it, it was a lot. And so I have to fight this temptation to, to bring everything. And my pastor Montaigne used to say, bro, don't tell him everything you know at once. Leave him wanting more. It's like yeah. a good movie. Right. So that's when I got to this message, when I heard, that he paused the Passover and that we're waiting, that he began the most famous supper with his most famous friends. But we get to finish that. We've been invited to finish that meal with them. And anyone who chooses Jesus between then and now gets to be redeemed, gets to be raptured if we're part of that generation. Right. And then we get to go and sit at a table And I picture it physical. I don't think it's some ethereal Casper will be there and Beetlejuice. And like, it's going to be like real people with real bodies eating real food that does not make us gain weight. And it will be culminated with a cup that we all get to drink from, the cup of praise. Mm. This cup was meant for the disciples, but we paused it. And the disciples have been waiting 2000 years to go broke. Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And so how do we live our lives in the in-between? We have to live our lives with this great expectation. So I feel like, you know,
0: there's like 16 things I wanted to say while you were talking, (laughs)
1: including I'm not really into
0: quantum physics, but I was into quantum leap with Scott Bakula and that was a really good show. Anyway. That was a good show. um, So... The thing that I did want to talk about though is this idea that there's that there's truth between the lines. Mm. Not not um not not that there's not absolute truth. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. like I mean the Bible's still absolutely true, but there's yeah. a deeper truth between the lines. That if you could just take a second and look at the word not with 21st century eyes, but with first or BC century yep. eyes. You know what I mean? Yep. Because it, it, I, I had a question downtown a couple of weeks ago asking about like time and ages and Genesis and mm-hmm. Methuselah and everything else. And so I asked again, our friend, yeah. Matt, smartest Old Testament guy I know. Yep. I said, Hey, how do I answer this question? He says, why do they even care?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how, the, that's how Jews <laughs> think though. You know, the interesting thing about Jewish people is that we can both be wrong and both be right at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So, and it's not that truth is relative to them either. It's it's this idea of, I mean, when you look at the scriptures, not to skip over your time thing. No, it's okay. You know, because I did just watch the new movie with Mark Wahlberg, Infinite. Ooh. And I go, ooh, he's been alive forever, bro. It's great. It's a great wow. movie. It, it gets bad reviews. But I, that stuff jazzes me up or Interstellar, bro. Yes. That jazzes yes. me up about these multiple realities yep. and identities, and it makes me think about my thoughts on free will and the paths that we could have taken and how God understands. I just had to try to describe free will to my son mm. um, this past week. And I said, you're thinking about it linear. And so I described free will from this 30,000 foot view to a teenager, and it clicked with him. I have this little diagram that I do. And I go, God doesn't just know you're A to B. He knows you're A to A1, A2, A3, A4, A5, and every one of those sub A's, there's a sub number on that. And so it ends up being, you know, millions of possibilities. Every decision that we make has a possibility to it. So had we gone one direction, then our life would look like this. But if we go the other direction, our life looks like that. And I look at Free Will like it's a choose your own adventure book from back when I was a kid. Right. And depending on if you turn to page seven or you turn to page nine, The story ends different. And so is my life in this context of free will, like if you say that God understands the beginning and the end, he understands the beginning and every end. And so God sits at this beautiful cosmic level and sees all of the options that you have at your life simultaneously. But then,
0: like, I love this topic. We're so off topic right now. But I love this topic because this also came up this week. So is God an observer of how life unfolds, or is God, up, or, or does God move the pieces? Do you know what I mean? So when we talk about God's yeah. will, you know, is He a casual observer, or is He a... right? Because I feel like He knows. Like mm-hmm. I feel like He knows everything. Like He knows when we have the decision between page seven, and page nine. He knows that we're going to pick page nine, mm-hmm. but He doesn't make us pick page right. nine. You know. So then, so then He knows if page nine ends poorly. Right. Something tragic happens on page nine. It wouldn't have happened if it was, if we chose mm-hmm. page seven. Why doesn't he make something happen so we don't go to page nine? Why doesn't he put a bus in our way? Why doesn't he, I don't know, like have us get a flat tire so we can't go to page nine. We got to go to seven.
1: I think God plans for all of us to end up at the right destination. And I think we get to choose all of those things. And I think he's both. I think he's a a passive observer and, and an active observer participant. Mm. And so it's difficult for our minds to understand because we're so finite, right? Right. And so, I mean, you say, well, God could do anything, but so could you. Mm. Jesus said, everything that I've done, you're capable of. The only reason that we're not capable of it is, or the only reason that, that we don't do the things that he did is because we're not as in tune with the father as he was. And so we're not as... Willing to participate in the process like he is. I mean, Jesus was tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet chose not to sin. And right. so to say that that he was tempted means he had the ability to to sin. And to some people, that's sacrilege. But Jesus couldn't be fully man and fully God if he didn't have the ability to fail. Right. So we have the same ability to fail and we have the same ability to succeed. So you say, could you live your life in perfection? Well, he was born without sin. We were born in sin, but at the same time, we could have made lots of different decisions. And I look back on all sorts of things that I've decided to do, and I've never made a bad decision where I didn't wish I'd done the right one before I made the bad decision. Never. Say say that again. I've never made a bad decision where I wished I wouldn't have made the right decision before the bad decision. And so for us, we think that we live our lives in regret, but we actually live our lives in rebellion. And so because you live in rebellion, you're going to live in regret. But when you stop living in rebellion, you can stop living in regret. So I don't regret good decisions that I made. I never look at my good decision to go, I wish I would have done the other thing. Never. But there's never been a time where I've been tempted to sin that I haven't heard the voice of the Holy Spirit tell me to stop and I've ignored Him. So every person, whether we're a believer or we're not a believer, we have this internal, we call it our conscience. It's really the Holy Spirit. We have this internal inkling that tells us to do what's right until we turn that off. And there's people that they've turned that off. And there are people, whether it's... Now, there's always a caveat that somebody said, th- well, what about somebody with mental health? Or, right. And I understand that there's, there's caveats to everything in life, but in general... You and I do not make bad decisions that we're not warned about. Hmm. So does that make God like that? I wouldn't say God's a passive observer in that because he's given his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, which is actually when Jesus said a new covenant, right? He's referring to Jeremiah 31, where Jeremiah says, and I will I will come into a new covenant that's different than the covenant that was with their fathers. Instead, I will write it in their minds and on their hearts. And that's talking about, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to live in us so that His Word and His commandments, the things that they memorized and they kept in a little scroll close to their mind, that they didn't need that anymore because now... It's been, and and many of them had memorized that. Like when Jesus came and he talked about the greatest commandment, they they already knew that. And so when you talk about this idea of living in the in-between, that is living in the in-between. It's where we're choosing consciously many times to ignore the warning signs. There's so many warning signs every single day in our life. And so we have to look back on the times that God has given us redemption, like How many times has God seemingly intervened on your behalf and given you victory? But why is it that we look back on the times that we think he seemingly didn't intervene on our behalf? He's always trying to intervene on our behalf. That's called the Holy Spirit. But when we choose to ignore that, that's when we live our lives in this whole open concept where we think that God's not doing anything. And sometimes I think God's in heaven. He's like, bro, remember, remember that time? Yeah. You were going to do that, and you said she was hot, but you didn't say it to anybody else. And I said, you should tell that person that you think she's hot and keep your eye on them. And these are conversations that I've had with teenagers and pastors alike. Yeah. When something comes up in you that is a sinful inclination, that's your warning sign to tell someone. And if you choose not to tell someone, you can't, you can't fight it on your own. It's impossible to fight. Temptation is a team effort. We, it's impossible to fight it alone. And we weren't designed to fight it alone. Right. And so it's us and God, us and the Holy Spirit, and us and the people around us. So I love this, as it as it points back to this idea of free will. So
0: while we have free will, without our pursuit, or, or as Paul says, working out our salvation, without doing that, like we're not really in tune to the Holy Spirit. We're not really, uh, you know, like following His how he compels us or how he convicts us or how he whatever. And so, but the more that we do, once we decide for Christ and then, and then we open ourselves up to this idea of the Holy spirit or like hearing him more clearly, then sure. We're still doing our will, but our will is directed by the counsel of the Holy spirit. Hmm. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. It's a daily thing too. Yeah. I mean, people think there's no finish line. None. Well, if you die, yeah. Or get raptured. Right. But that's the end goal. But this
0: side, this side of heaven, yeah. there's no, there's no finish line. That's a thing we're always trying to grow
1: into or grow more of. You're always going to have temptations in your life and those temptations change. And then the minute that you get rid of one, you're going to have another one that's going to creep up. And, and so like uh, years ago, I went to counseling. And I went to counseling because I was struggling with a particular issue, a particular temptation, if you would. And it it was interesting to me because, you know, I traveled for five years as an evangelist. And, you know, I was gone 300 days of the year, stayed in hotels and preached at churches and flew on airplanes. And then most of it, it was alone. And yet I never never had any temptation to be unfaithful to my wife. Mm. I just didn't struggle in that. And part of that's because the lifestyle that I lived before I got saved is almost like... I got all those skeletons out of my closet. I struggled with other stuff, right? I struggled with food big time and it was sinful to me. Like, I think anytime you hide something, it's sinful. Yeah. So like, if you're hiding the fact that you're eating Oreos, that's something in you that's telling you not to do that. And you're ignoring that. Right. And so I went to this counselor and he told me, you could get rid of that thing that you're struggling with. You could get rid of the food thing. But the minute you get rid of the food thing, it's going to pop up as something else. You're, you're going to have a problem with pornography or you're going to have a problem with money or you're going to have a, you know, a problem with honesty. It's like whatever it is, you're, you're going to get rid of the symptom because you haven't gotten rid of the root. And so for me, I had to like, that's why Journey to Wholeness is so near and dear to my heart is that I had to figure out what that root was in me that made me take page seven. Instead of page nine. Yeah. And for me, I was in first grade Then I made a decision and I became a violent, angry person. I first grade, bro. Like when you're in first grade, you're innocent when you're yeah. in first grade. Yeah. And, and it just, it changed the trajectory of my life. But even though I wasn't walking with the Lord or submitting myself to him, he was constantly chasing me. And now I can look back now that I'm with him I can look back on situations even when I was a teenager or a young adult where I can go, oh yeah, man, that was God. Like that was, that was God allowing that to happen. And here's the thing. Uh sometimes we discount pain. And pain is a great vehicle to get us back to where we need to be. And so sometimes we need to lean into that, right? And so sometimes, and I'm trying to explain this to my teenagers. There's there are struggles that they have in their life that they don't want to be having. But the problem is those struggles are the thing that are, they're their fences. They're bringing them back, mm-hmm. right? So when I was a freshman in college, I got arrested, All right? God didn't cause that, bro. I chose to do that. And yet God used that as a redemptive thing in my life. And now he uses that. I mean, like we're about, as a church, we're about to be in a slew of federal penitentiaries. And and when when we have these guys who come to our church who have been incarcerated, and gals, but typically the girls don't come talk to me, these guys who have been incarcerated, there's a connection between, between them and I. And I'm nothing like I was then, thank God. But at the same time, God used that in my life. Like he used the death of my daughter. Like right. for, for 20 years, I've talked about that. And it's never it's never become okay with me. I've never been the guy who's like, well, you know, I thank I don't thank God that she died. I'm grateful that he's used it. Yeah. But I don't I don't want. I wish I wouldn't have gone through that. I wish that she was still here. I wish I could have watched her go to prom. I wish yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> so
0: some people will listen and they'll say um that both freshman year in college and losing your daughter Right. Like you could, like, those are, that's God moving in your life. That's God punishing you. That's God something. Right. But, but then it'd be easy to say, or it's easy for you to say like, look, I made those decisions that got me arrested in college. Right. But I, but then, but then how do you like, but then same people will want to say, well, what about your daughter? Like, was that a punishment? And if it's not a punishment, what the age, you know, like. Was the was the was the grand scheme of God's plan so big and so great that He knew the number of people that you would be able to reach that He thought that it was worth that little that little bit? I'm air quoting. Yeah, that little bit of your pain because of so much good that could come out of that in
1: reaching the kingdom. Well, I had somebody tell me. I think somebody told Sonny, and then Sonny told me this thought that God didn't even spare his own son from pain and suffering. So who am I to think that I should be spared from pain and suffering? Or if God is willing to sacrifice his child, was I willing to sacrifice Mm -hmm. my child? And I don't, I just, I, I may be, I mean, I'm not generally a negative thinker, but I think even in that situation and scenario, honestly that there were some things that were wrong with her that were that that were environmental mm. you know she had she had all sorts of genetic issues that were happening sure and i want to be i want to be cautious when i say this because i'm not blaming my wife yeah but there are certain things that pass from one person to another that my wife had so much mercury in her body that she was tested for toxicity, hmm. and had to go to the point of having. I mean, she grew up drinking well water on a ranch, right. which is filled with mercury and iron and all sorts of this stuff, and and she she had dangerous levels of toxicity in her body. She had to have all of her fillings drilled out of her mouth and refilled with non, you know, those silver, yeah. those are filled with mercury, like dangerous levels of mercury. Gosh. And so there's, there was a level of something that passed from her to our daughter. It wasn't her fault. Right. She didn't know about it. It wasn't something, a choice that she had made. Right. But it was a choice that had to be made if we were going to have kids again right cuz we had lost kids before her they just hadn't been born we had a, you know we had miscarriages and and so do i think that's god judging us or putting his thumb on us right no but it was it was decisions that we made sometimes unconsciously that resulted in certain things which is why to this day we're not vaccination people mm. i'm not an anti-vaxer Right. If you want to get a vaccination, more power to you. Right. I don't have an ethical issue against vaccinations. But my son, when he was a baby, the two times that he was vaccinated, he almost died. Well, if you do the math and you know that Sonny had a problem with toxicity, and then we lost a daughter who had all kinds of issues that were connected to certain things that were genetically happening in her body. And then you go, well, my son had these huge reactions and almost died when he got vaccinated. So my daughter's never been vaccinated for anything, Hmm. nothing and never been sick. Wow. Now I'm not saying that vaccinations make people sick. Right. Again, Cesar hey, if you want to get a vaccination? That's your choice. I don't I don't live your life. And so that's why I'm not the guy on stage that's like, oh, we're right, a yeah, that, you know, whatever, bro." Yeah. If vaccinations didn't make my kids sick, I would let them get vaccinated. Right. So when we go to a school and they say we need your vaccination records, it's difficult to explain to them why we don't get vaccinated. And so then I look at like what's happening with COVID right now. And people like, there's, it's going to be a thing, bro, where you're going to have to have a vaccination passport. And I go, my kids can't, they can't be, I'm not going to take the risk. I would rather my kids have to combat that than combat what I know. Like there's a 50, 50 chance that if if my kids get COVID, they're going to be fine. Right. Right. Maybe it's a better, but naturally I look at that and I go, but, but I know there's a higher percentage of chance that my kids are gonna have to fight if they get a vaccination. And I go, is that their fault? Or is that things that passed to them genetically? So if we lost a daughter because of something, I I just and maybe this is just me being positive and thinking this, I don't ever look at God and think he's punishing me. Right. There are consequences, right? Yeah. To, to decisions there's or discipline. Decisions. Right. Right. He's always disciplining me. But the difference between punishment and discipline is punishment is for my benefit. Like if I'm the parent, this is my perspective. Punishment is for the parent's benefit. It's to make me feel better. Yeah. Discipline is for the child's benefit. It's to make them better. And so I was someone who who grew up in a generation, as are you, yes. who sometimes our parents spanked us to get their anger out. Yes. I don't do that. I don't spank my kids to get my anger out. First of all, because I know the level of my anger. So I have other outlets for that. I don't want them to be the outlet of my anger, but I don't want them to be unproductive citizens. So I don't want to just let them do whatever they want. So I have to discipline them. And that discipline looks different than punishment. So I don't think that God punishes me because he's not trying to let his anger or frustration out on me. He's trying to discipline me because he wants me to be better and wants me to be more like him. So the flip side of that same coin,
0: are the blessings that we receive a reward for our behavior or are they the, the outcome of our behavior? Like we come to with the consequences of poor behavior, poor decisions can be seen as discipline or as punishment, but then could blessings, you know,
1: could those be the consequences of our good behavior? I think it could be both of those as well. I think that, I mean, there's times when you bless your kids with certain things because they're your kids, but then there's other times that you give your kids things that are more than a blessing. You know, my kids are blessed to have beds to sleep in. Right. And clothes on their back. I sound like my parents now. We put <laughs> clothes on your back and roof over your head, food in your belly, as long as we put... That's always the precursor to that. But like, I look at your kids. So if you send Ray to a volleyball camp, that's more than a blessing. Yeah. You let her... Like, you. she plays volleyball at school. Maybe that's a blessing. But there's just something extra right. that you're going to do because... Because you're proud of her, maybe, like, hey, if you stay committed to this, I mean, my daughter won a letterman's jacket, right? She played sports for the first time this year, and she played volleyball, and um, she got like a week into it and wanted to quit. Uh. um she found out you have to run <laughs> <laughs> to my daughter, it's like punishment to run. <laughs> And I said, we're not going to quit because in our family, we don't quit stuff. It's interesting because Isaiah wanted to quit football. He, yeah, I, put I, remember him, that. I put him in all the other sports and he was no good. He, we, I tried to have him wrestle. No good. Tried, he did Brazilian jitsu, and he went to test for his first belt and he knew all the stuff, but he wouldn't put the final move on the kid. Hmm. And so they wouldn't give him his belt. And when we asked him later, he said, well, I don't want to make him feel bad. I don't want to make the other kid feel bad. Yeah. I was like, bro, let's not do this then. You're not a martial artist. Right. And say, then he, he wanted to play hockey. So I, I put him in skating lessons and he did like a 90 minute skating lesson yeah. where for, for 84 of them, he was doing snow angels on the ice <laughs> yeah. and the other six, he was pushing a chair around on the ice. And, and when he came off the ice, I said, bro, how did it go? He said, I don't like the shoes, daddy. And I knew if he thinks they're called shoes, this is a wrap. And so we put him in football. He's like six we are living in Houston. And I, I put him in football and he wanted to sign up. Like he had played flag football the year before. And he was like, yeah, I want to sign up. And so we, we took him to the, we got the gear, took him to practice and, and we're in the car, like at the practice field. And he's like, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. And I think he was watching the high school boys and they were smacking each Mm, other, you know, Texas, they're a whole different animal. And I just looked at him. I said, all right, here's the deal. You're going to do it. I paid $400. Every parent pulls the money card. I paid $400. Even though they didn't ask you to do it, I paid $400 for you to do this. You're (laughs) going to do it. And I told him, you're going to do it this season. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it next year. And it's the same thing I told Aubrey. Let's just. We're going to finish because we don't quit. We're not quitters. Right. Now we, we may not be renewers, but we're not quitters. <laughs> and so it was fine for her. She played, got in the games. She's good server. Like she enjoyed it. She enjoyed the the other girls, the camaraderie, and and so she wanted a Letterman's jacket. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy you this Letterman's jacket. Why? Because you stayed committed. Yeah. For the year. So that jacket was a reward. That was more than a blessing. Like to me, I expect blessings. I don't expect rewards. I expect that God's going to bless me. I live my life in a blessing expectation. And the reason for that is because God promised it. Now there's other things that God gives me where he hooks me up and he gives me more. And, And I have that, man. I live my life in more I live my life in exceedingly abundantly more than I can hope, wish, dream, or even ask for. And I think part of that's that I have God's favor on my life. I think some people, this is a whole nother can of worms. I think that there are some people that just have natural favor on -hmm. their lives. And I don't think it has anything to do with their behavior. And it's not like you get to go to heaven more or you don't get to heaven. I just think, I mean, clearly there's some people that are more gifted I mean, my kids were just at PK, it's called PK Vacay, it's a PK camp. And the guy preaching at it, the guy who hosted it, Ed Young Jr. from Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, he's more gifted than most people on earth. You know, so maybe he has more favor mm-hmm. on his life. So I think that you're the reward and the blessing, I think that that's both. I think I answered. Yeah,
0: I'm positive we did. So just to, to pull this back together. So then could you look at, this idea of not focusing on our punishment or discipline or our blessing and rewards, like not focus on the results to instead focus on the work. And as long as we focus on the work, like, I feel like, Like that's the, that's the Jesus journey. That's the in between that that's like, I'm just going to focus on the work. I'm not doing it because I I get this or I'm doing not doing it because then I won't get this. But instead I'm just doing the work for the, for the benefit of the work for the, because that's what I'm told to do. I'm told to, I know I I wore our shirt the other day and you laughed, but this idea that we're supposed to love, love and go, right? Like if I, that's the work. To love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, even the ones I don't like, and to go and make disciples of the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that if I do those things, they're the work. I don't worry about the reward or the punishment or the discipline or the blessing, that instead I'm just, I'm focused on the work because of my heaven's assured, right? My salvation is assured. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just left to do the work.
1: Is that fair? I think it's fair, but I would... I think I would push back in this regard that I think me not having a strong religious background before my relationship with Jesus, it it doesn't constrict me like I think some people, and I think you in some regard, and I don't mean this in an ugly way. I think that you approach life from a liturgical standpoint and I don't. Hmm. Because I think that your comment right there sounds very uh, liturgical. Very Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, no and just the word, the work to me. I don't look at it like work. I live my life. And I know that our friend, Rabbi Matt, he would probably have something to say about this. Yeah, I live my life for the relationship. And I, I know that that sounds like semantics. I don't think it's work to be in a relationship with Scott Eastman. I, there is no work involved in it to me. Mm-hmm. You are a benefit to my life. You, you are a blessing to my life. And I think every relationship that I choose to be in, and there's some relationships I don't choose to be in, right. but the relationships that I am in, and maybe part of it is because I'm a naturally very generous person. I, I do things for people because of my love for them. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I don't view it as a work. And I know that you're not, you know, you're not saying it like that, but like when I hear that and when I hear the work that, then that makes me go back to the, to the opposite side of it and say that like, when I do something wrong, I have to make penance for it. But like, I don't have to make penance for things, right. Because I'm in this beautiful relationship and, and, and maybe an apology is penance. Right? I was trying to describe to Isaiah the other day, this is, this is during the free will conversation. And so I was trying to describe to him this idea of forgiveness. And it, it's so foreign to us because again, to use the same words I used earlier, we are finite people living in an infinite, infinite existence. So God is infinite. He's not bound by anything. And... I actually really like one of the things that, and not to, to get ahead on your message, but I was reading your notes this week yeah, and you said something that was so profound to me about how we were supposed to live limitless Hmm. and, and this idea that Adam and Eve were born limitless, but then they limited themselves by the choices that they made. God never intended for us to live limited. He, 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 from the very beginning, wanted us to live limitless. And I think that that's what um, eternity will be like with him. It will be limitless. There will be limitless possibilities. And it makes me think of the Bradley Cooper movie, Limitless, where right. he takes that pill and all of a sudden he can do everything yes. that he couldn't do and he could do it simultaneously. And, and so I was trying to th- explain to Isaiah that we live in this finite or this limited world serving an infinite or limitless God. And so when we think about the things that we've done wrong and the thought that we have, because him and I, he was talking to me about penance. we have to make penance for that. And it even can go to the extreme. Like I think it was in the Da Vinci Code book where you had the arch enemy in that movie was yeah, yeah. making penance and he yeah. would whip himself and right. do all sorts of stuff, which is an extreme. But I think that we all... Do that in some regard. And so saying to Isaiah, you don't even have to make penance, bro. You don't have to make up for the stuff that you've done. God's not me. right? God's not like in six weeks, God's not going to go, yeah, but remember when you... Because the scriptures say that when I ask him to forgive me, he does. And that he chooses... Do never remember that again. It is as far as the East is from the West. It's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. You can use all the metaphors that yeah. you want to use, but it is this idea that when you ask for forgiveness and then you remember it and you feel condemnation, that's not God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I picture it like this, like when, when, when we think about something that we did wrong, it's almost like God is the absent-minded professor, not to belittle yep. him, yep. Yep. but where God's like, bro, I don't even know what, you're, what are you talking yes. about? That didn't even happen.
0: And the in the act of us looking back on that and thinking, "Oh, I got to make that up to God." I'm gonna have to make that up. He's either gonna punish me to make it up, or I gotta do something—penance—to yeah. make that up. I gotta say so many prayers, or ring so many bells, mm-hmm. or help so many ladies across the street, as though the the weight of that equals the offense. And so we feel like by our own accord or in our own power that we can make up for the wrongs that we've done. And he says, "I'm not even asking
1: you for that, you guys. Yep. You know, like I, we're, we're the only faith in the world that doesn't believe that." Incidentally. Hmm. We're the only faith in the world where you don't have to do more good than bad. My, my uncle, Bob, some of you have heard of my uncle, Bob. He's infamous. He was in federal penitentiary for years, bro. He was sentenced to life. Gosh. Which he, he did like 20 something years, and got out on parole. And he was just a, he was just a terrible dude, man. The nicest guy in the world, but he ran with an outlaw biker gang. He was a drug runner. He was yeah. a pimp. He was a, like a legit, not like a pimp. Like we say it like that dude's yeah. a pimp. He was a real pimp. Like he had he had his girls that were working yeah. for him. And and I mean, he was a thief and a liar and a, uh, tried to kill somebody. And he, uh, he had lung cancer. He was kind of holed up, which incidentally he said, uh, you know, he's a heroin addict. And he told my mom that he smoked until the day he died. He smoked with lung cancer. That's gangster. (sighs) You know, (laughs) my mom was like, Bob, like you have lung cancer. You're going to die of lung cancer. He would take a drag between coughs. And my mom's like, what are you doing? And he said, Peg, that's what he called my mom. He said, Peg, it was easier to get off heroin than it is to get off cigarettes. It was unbelievable. And so here's this guy, he's alone in an apartment. The only person that he had left in the world was my mom, who incidentally, like, he like scammed my parents and made them go bankrupt, made them lose their house, bro. And yet my mom, while he's dying, is in the room lighting his cigarette for him. (laughs) And the day before he died, my mom let him in the sinner's prayer. Wow. And I'm going to get to kick it yeah. with my uncle Bob for eternity. It doesn't make any sense that that dude, in any other faith, he doesn't get in. Yeah, Because there's not enough rocks on one side of the scale. He's He's got one rock Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on the good side. And you know, if, if you're Islamic, if you're Hindu, if you're Buddhist, all of those things, you got to do works. And even though the scripture says faith without works is dead, that doesn't mean that, that you don't get to get to heaven because you lack works. All that's saying is that the life that you're living, like if you don't live your life with good works, it's going to be empty. Right. And so back to this idea of us living in the in between. If we live our life where we only look toward the future, then we'll live our lives unsatisfied. If we live our lives where we only look back on the negative, we'll live our lives unsatisfied. So we're in this, we're in this in between thought where we have to look back not on the things that we did wrong. We have to look back on the things that he did right. Yeah, That's redemption. He redeemed us. Even that word in a physical sense, he cashed us in. We've The price has been paid for us through Jesus by him not holding back his son, by him not, not sacrificing his son. He paid our penance for us. He paid the price for our sins. And all we have to do is ask. So we don't have to cut ourselves. We don't have to put hot coals under our feet. We don't have to ring bells, light candles, have other people pray prayers. We don't have to pray prayers out of a book. I mean, honestly, and this is going to be something maybe somebody's not heard a pastor say. We don't have to go to church. We don't have to give an offering. We don't have to read a book, a Bible, pray a prayer. After that prayer, you have been redeemed. And so because you've been redeemed and we're living in this in-between place where the Passover Seder hasn't been finished, we look back on those things that God's redeemed us of and in faith look forward to this idea that because of that, we get to live in this. We get to. And so because we, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, are going to be able to drink the cup of praise. We should begin living in that now. Let's start living in that while we're in the in-between. Let's start getting warmed up for that. I don't want to get to heaven and have to watch a YouTube video on how to worship. Yeah, That's why I said it yesterday in the live service. Some of these dudes in here, oh, and yeah. some of them won't do it, bro, Yeah, because some of them are too proud. It's okay. I used to be too proud but from this from like from here on out i'm going to be in a service and i'm going to worship i'm going to praise because i have my life is praiseworthy god has redeemed me he is he says i have redeemed you i have called you by name child you are mine you're mine right. you're mine in life and you're mine in death and so i want i want to live my life whether i'm in life church in green bay or i'm going to tell you right now when i'm in sacramento this sunday they're going to see a guy who knows how to praise. I'm going to be in that front row. Bro, I cried through worship yesterday. When Barry got up there and he did his prayer teaching, he said, put your hand on your heart. Man, I put my hand on my heart. Man, I broke, bro. I just sobbed because I know the things that God's carrying for me right now. And if you look at your life, whether you're mega, mega successful, like this board member who's worth half a billion dollars on the rooftop, or you're the guy who's trying to figure out how he's going to pick up an extra shift at the mill so that he can take his kids fishing this summer. You are being carried. Everything about your life has been put in the palm of his hand and he's carrying you through. And so that's the blessing. And every once in a while, I get a little extra reward. It's like, a, like I get a bonus on my check right. or I get my tax return. Who in Jesus' name? Right. I used to get my tax return and go straight to Best Buy. <laughs> it's like, I wasn't planning on this money. And so I'm going to blow this money. <laughs> and so I, as I live in the in-between, which is what we had talked about on Sunday, I am looking forward to the cup of praise. But I don't want it to be foreign when I get it. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: This was good, Sean. Thanks for being here today. Listen, if you uh, enjoyed this uh, episode of Chew and That, we would love it if you would rate or review it on any one of your favorite podcast platforms. We'd love it even more, actually, if you would share it with a friend that you feel like might be able to benefit from these words. In fact, I could think about three people right now that I'm going to share this with because it's just such good information. So once again, my name was Scott. That was my friend, Pastor Sean. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time.